You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the football grump. With me, as always, is Mike, the Cranky Fan, and the Giants are officially a four-win team. A a 10-7 victory over the New England Patriots in a drizzly, rainy day in the Meadowlands. Um, Tommy DeVito, hometown boy, was talk of the town going into the game, and uh, I guess... I don't know. I'd say more so after. Yeah, and I guess more so after. <laughs> I myself, uh, well, I heard that he did not get a game ball, so I myself went home and ordered the Tommy DeVito from my local local pizzeria. You know, we uh, we looked up that place where uh, I don't know one of the writers went to, and uh, we're Crump uh, and Grank's annual Christmas party in December. On our way out to the party, we will be stopping there and having a sandwich ourselves. We just. So, yeah, um, I am suffering from a cold, as you can tell, my annual Thanksgiving Day cold. I had a miserable weekend, um, even sitting, even though we won a game, you know, sitting in miserable weather at the Meadowlands after, you know, watching Florida lose to Florida State, getting two hours sleep, flying up, seeing the Knicks lose after that in a last second shot. And just basically collapsing that home, it was a, it was a rough weekend for me. But um, I'm glad at least we can talk about a victory and what that all means and how we should feel about that. So another action-packed episode for us here. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, it is what it is, right? Um, well, I mean, let's talk about some things, right? Um, the offense still can't move the ball, so I'm not going to talk too much about the offense. But one one spot where they really did move the ball, the New England was pretty good at stopping the run, so. Uh, Mm-hmm. This whole offense sort of operated off of the shot ball to uh, Jalen Hyatt, and um, it's it's pretty cool because we've struggled to see we've seen him separate and stuff like that. Even early on in in training camp, um, he had some of the more highlighty uh, catches throughout training camp. I just more highlight plays, um, and it just hasn't really happened too much in games. And we just see all these like missed opportunities or just bad throws to him and and I'm not saying Tommy DeVito delivered strikes but they were uh, good enough throws is the best I guess we've seen um we, we saw moves by Hyatt too we well, saw yeah, him shake and bake and we, it wasn't just run a fly and just get open it was a little bit in space you know juking a guy and those are the things that you get excited if you know if we think he could potentially be a you know, a number two or number one receiver on this team. He can't just be running fly patterns all the time. You have to actually be a receiver and run routes. So that was that was very encouraging. Yeah, and also you had uh, early on, I think, like the first drive of the game, he had that, like, deep over route for, like, 30 yards or something like that. Uh, did mm-hmm. a toe drag along the sideline. I mean, he went 5 of 6 for 109 yards. The one incompletion was just a really, really good defensive play. Really good defensive play. Otherwise, throughout the game, he abused J.C. Jackson, which this might be a two-win Patriots team, but J.C. Jackson is a pretty good corner. So, I, I don't know. Um, 
it was it was just it's comforting to see him develop throughout the, this this otherwise pretty gray and unpleasant well, year. That's why we're still watching. We're not watching anymore for the wins or good quality product from, you know, the starting eleven on either side of the ball. It's like what can what can we see? What green shoots can we see that we can take and build on for next year from uh, an individual standpoint, a unit standpoint, a coaching standpoint, and you know, seeing Hyatt is definitely one of those things that gives me kind of hope for next year that you know as we kind of get back to full strength and we start over next year um tommy devito just to like uh basically what i saw he looked functional um the the best i can say really i mean some good touch on on throws stuff like that i don't want to like underplay the shit out of him but like honestly the biggest thing for me that i can say is this was a game it did not look like a chicken with his head cut off like just running for his life. This looked like someone run, running an offense for real. Um, a bad one, a, a miserable offense that struggled to move and scored only 10 points. But this looked like football, right? I, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah sure. I mean, yes. we, saw, we saw a guy. It looked like bad football, but it looked like football. It didn't look like absolute panic out yeah. there. We didn't see. It's also playing ago. a two-win team. We, yeah, I'm going to get into all this. So three weeks ago, we saw a quarterback that we both said should not be in the NFL right now at all. And I really haven't wavered that much on it. I'll give you some numbers in a second. But at least we've seen a guy who's been practicing and preparing to – and a coaching staff that has simplified this enough to make him functional and make him – try to be successful they're not just running the offense and he's just miserable at it i mean yes he also is dealing with a terrible offensive line right now and he's you could see you know even playing a two-win team or a crappy whatever new england is you know not having much time to do much of anything back there we couldn't run the ball at all but i know there's excitement about tommy devito it's a great story a story that's been told to us ad nauseum you know it's nice to see that he's not failing and not embarrassing himself and not, you know, doing all that stuff. But I want to put this in perspective for anybody who's getting visions of buying a Tommy DeVito jersey or thinking that, you know, why do we need to draft a quarterback? We have this guy. We've won two games with him. This giant offense this week had 220 total yards. The team that is 32nd in the league in total offense is the New York Giants, who averaged 258 yards of offense. So, you know, he completed some passes, but this offense is still very bad. We had 162 passing yards. That's 30. That would make us. If, if, 31st in the league in passing. Who's last in the league? The Giants with 151 yards a game. So we actually had a little better passing game than our average. I know there's some real, you know, absolute stinkers in there like when he first started playing and all that. But my point is that this still falls under the nice story. You know, we're pulling for the guy. I mean, I know all you Jersey guys are so excited because one of you is – you know, and he's the stereotype. The family's a stereotype. It's great. Um, but this is not Jeremy Lin. This is not a guy out of nowhere who all of a sudden 
is beating the Lakers almost single-handedly. This is not a guy who, you know, is going to get his next contract and make eighty million dollars. Put it in perspective of what it is. It's making an unwatchable season at least watchable and at least gives you some interest. But that's kind of all it is right now. Yeah, um, it's uh, it is what it is. You know, um, basically. Yeah, it, it's still. We're a bad team. It's a bad offense. It's great to be excited when it looks like a functional one. That's fine. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'll but, leave it. Like, before, I, like there, don't there's cheer for. He's doing a great job being thrust into a situation. I hope he continues to develop throughout these meaningful reps that I think are way above his head right now. Given what's in front of him, I mean, this isn't like a Brock Purdy situation going into a very comfortable-ish uh, spot. Like we were a bad team that lost a quarterback, not a good one, um, not a Super Bowl team that lost the quarterback. So, um, yay, whatever. But future of Tommy DeVito is not. Don't think about that. Don't even think about anything. Just cheer for him on Sundays and let him develop, and that's well- it. The only thing I will ask you, Grump, is before we move on from from this, um, you know, Tommy Mania, is has there anything you've seen in the last couple of weeks that makes you think that he can be a realistic development project to be a backup in this league? Now that we've actually seen him a little bit with live bullets, granted, it's against the dregs of the league, and obviously the competition is going to be stepped up quite a bit when we get back from the break, but. Are you seeing anything that says, okay, I'm willing to invest the time and the effort that he can be a functional, reliable backup quarterback in this league? Yes, but they're less exciting than I think people who are big fans will be um, latching for. I mean, like, some of it is intangible, right? Like, the moment doesn't seem too big for him. Uh, remember, it, he's riding high now, but he had to play the Cowboys. So that was... Mm-hmm. One of the worst games. To, to, yeah, I mean, it, that was horrendous, and he he bounced back from that, um, and that is something worth noting. Uh, you know, it's something. If I were eva- the way I'm evaluating him is the way I'd evaluate an undrafted free agent, which is kind of similar to college. So all this is kind of drafty talk, but like that's just something I would write down. Like that's huge, um, that sort of thing. But like it could end up being nothing. It's not like I saw some laser, but like he threw some decent balls. He looked, I don't know. He he looked like he was executing stuff. It looks like he has good relationships with his receivers. It clearly looks like he puts in the work week to week. We've seen improvement. Um, he has not improved from bad to good, but we've seen week to week improvement. So yes, especially because the time, effort, and money to develop him into a backup is minimal for a couple of years. I've seen enough to do that since they've seen enough to sign him. Like, you know, as an undrafted free agent, they probably paid more for him. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but oftentimes those players end up making more money than seventh round picks because the seventh round salary is locked. Undrafted free agency is literally free agency. So the ones that teams want the most can kind of negotiate bonuses and stuff like that. So they clearly saw enough of him to invest money into him initially. If they've already felt that way, I've seen only positive things given the situation that he was thrust in. Just nothing that would make me think that it's upcoming (laughs) 
uh, anytime soon. You know what I mean? Like he needs some real time in the weight room. Uh, making running an entire practice squad, you know, offense is something he barely even got to do. So, some stuff, but not much. He he has a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar base salary. Um, the cap hit is four hundred sixteen thousand. So, and it's a one year contract. Um, yeah, I mean, regardless, I'm just saying, like, free agency yeah. at the end there, like, the draft pick, you kind of just, like, throw a dart at the wall. Free agency, you're actively seeking players and fighting other teams for them. So they clearly saw enough yeah. to, to go through all that hubbub. Um, and then he ended up making the – sticking around, so, uh, with, with the practice squad, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, given given what they've already invested, I've seen enough. Uh, but it's, it's nothing that I would, like – brag about to anybody or talk about at all yeah yeah agree agree um otherwise one other thing i wanted to mention about the offense um in, in a game in which saquon barkley was pretty much shut down uh minus a few saquon things where he broke a couple they our run game just sucked isaiah hodgins honestly uh one individual effort play he's been an, a, a pretty quiet player this season um but a hundred percent individual effort play turned a otherwise would have been a failed third down conversion in the red zone into a touchdown. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this team hasn't quit. You know, I thought potentially they might have been showing some signs of quitting in that Dallas game, but, you know, we said this 100,000 times on this show and we'll continue to say that, that coaches and players don't tank. And they're not tanking and they're also not quitting. So I think that's a testimony to this coaching staff and this roster. I mean, there are players that are fighting for their jobs next year. And the easiest way to not be on this roster next year is to put on film that you are not trying. And we've seen, if you look around the league, look at some of these other teams, look at some players, they are clearly not giving a shit. You can see it already. And we're not even in December yet. So you know, that's a you know, if you want to give a star to the coaching staff that this team is still trying and getting it together in, in a tough situation, I'm fine with that. Uh, yeah, clearly. Um, you touched on a couple of things there about coaching um, and, and tanking. One last thing before we get to both of those conversations is uh, another really good game from Kayvon. Uh, stats wise was a little ho hum, I guess, but uh, like a game wrecker in the biggest moments, some really really important shoestring tackles on the edge, tackles for loss, um, had a half a sack, he was causing pressure the whole game. Uh, he, he had a very very good game this game. He's gonna get the, all the attention now. I mean, you know, there was no Dexter Lawrence. Obviously, Leonard Williams is gone. He's right now. They're circling number five. That's what we have to stop right now. Yeah. So. Don't expect gaudy numbers. Don't expect tons of, you know, Sports Center highlights. But, you know, he's now the target and he's now the focus. So whatever he can do is great. And if he can command enough attention so somebody else on the backside or whatever can make a play, so be it. So um, this game ended uh, 10-7. Uh, saw, <laughs> saw some shit in the stands that I thought was stupid. Um, yeah. Look – I, I understand the split decision on how to feel about this game. 
I also understand being completely entrenched in how you feel about this the, the outcome of this game. Um, I don't really care uh, how you feel about the outcome of this game because it's over. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know yeah. what to say. Like, like first of all, it. I um I, I don't I, I I don't approve of coaches doing what Doug Peterson doing in in that you are trying to lose a game so you sat a bunch of players and now you're actually still winning despite that so now you're just pulling players I don't approve of that uh, I I do think that that's like it's perfectly legal I, I mean I'll probably bitch about it if you ask me about my opinion it's I I think that's shitty I think it's 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 not good for anything it's not you're not developing anything now. You know, you're not using any of this potential well, the, injury. There's veterans who are well, having their times wasted. Don't, don't pull our cranks and say we want to see how our third string quarterback looks. That's what he said after the game, yeah. which was a, such a line of bullshit. Yeah. And you know, something got fired after that. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, I'm just saying, like, so knowing that coaches and players are never going to tank, which means outcomes are going to be outcomes. You're going to coach to win. You're going to play to win. So whatever happens, happens. So I don't care how people feel. I'm also going to add that it's not as if they destroyed them in this team. The, the fucking other team missed a field goal. So if you're very upset about the end of this game, I don't know what to tell you. The Giants literally almost blew it. I'm not really sure we would have won in overtime. Really. Listen, here is the order of emotions I had at the end of this game. The first emotion was elated that it was not going to overtime. And that wasn't an opinion of just myself. That was an opinion of everybody around us, whether you wanted to see us win, you wanted to see us tank, you're a Patriot fan, you're the one guy back behind us who's wearing the Eagle shirt. Everybody just wanted this thing to be over. And the thought of sitting through there for possibly 10 more minutes because the chances of either team scoring would seem pretty low in that rain, in that muck, me with three hours sleep. So the first thought was elation. This thing's over. My second thought, as soon as it happened, I know in my brain what's best for this organization in the last year. I was happy. I gave Grump a huge high five and a hug. We won. I mean, if you don't, if, if you are so numb and dead to the world and linking so much of a big picture, I'll have a rant about that in a minute. But at the, in the middle of the moment, I'm happy that we got a win. Then as we were going towards the train and, and heading off, you know, off to the garden and stuff, I was like, well, <laughs> the uh, that buzz, that sugar high I have kind of went off. And I was like, that's probably going to cost us some point. It's going to not maybe necessarily cost us, but it's going to potentially limit some options we might have down the line. And we don't know what's going to happen in the next six weeks. We don't know who's going to win, who's going to lose. But, you know. Uh, a potential tiebreaker with the Patriots just went down the wayside. So I was a little bit of a, a bum by that, but I didn't stay up all night worrying about it. I just, you know, next week's another week with only the bye week and then we'll see what happens with the outcomes of each week. Because if you're going to spend the next seven weeks, just watching the tankathon and seeing us go from two to five to three to six to four to nine to 12, you're going to make yourself mental. First of all, for something we have no control over and that's just sort of the way it is. So, that's that. But the fans, <laughs> uh, you know, there's nothing worse than a bad giant season because when the season ticket holders sell their tickets, 
and the riffraff shows up. And I don't mean just the riffraff Patriot fans. I'm talking about the riffraff Giant fans. It becomes a rather miserable experience for the people who actually go every week. And uh, I give a fart once again to season ticket holders who sold their tickets because we suffer for it. Um, yeah, I, 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 I fully understand uh, thinking big picture and future. I do. Um, I am also I am big time, big picture and future thinker. I mean that's most of where all my draft stuff comes from. It's always always thinking that like two or three years ahead. Um, so I get it and I feel the same way. Uh, but also, if you can't be happy in the moment watching football, uh, don't go. Just don't go. Yeah, I I wouldn't I, I wouldn't I get I've been in that mindset and I understand it and in those days I don't spend $150 and go to the game and sit in the cold. I just sit at well, home and put it on and just sit in my world. I think there's a couple of things for that. The points you bring up. One, I may feel if this is week 17, like that Philly game, it's one game in one week, it's like, okay, I could I could use a loss right now. This will help things. But again, we're not even in December yet. And to play that game for seven, eight weeks of rooting for my team to actively lose is a pretty miserable experience. But for these idiot fans around us who you said, why are they spending $150 to sit in the rain? Those are meatheads. Those are not football fans. Those are people who are more interested in tailgating, getting hammered, being the star of their own reality show, being the center of attention for their other idiot friends so they can say the same lame jokes 12 times and have the, dope, the dopey girl next to her giggle and their other meathead friend laugh at them and egg them on just so they can wait for somebody like us to turn around and say, hey, shut the fuck up, and they're ready to go, and that makes their day so they can get in a brawl. So I don't take any of those people seriously. That's why they do it. The game itself, the outcome itself is probably eighth or ninth on their on their priority list. And not only did I give all those guys farts, I give them a fuck you. Um, I don't really care about that conversation anymore. So uh, <laughs> yeah, more, more, more interesting though, um, game ball going to Wink Martindale uh, to patch up some pregame abuzz uh, Jay Glazer news, right? Um, about a fractured relationship between Wink Martindale and Brian Dable. Um, what do you, what do you make of all of this? Because I don't, I don't think it's nothing, right? I don't think it's nothing, but I don't think it's everything either. I think that, uh, we're coming to an interesting kind of crossroads with Brian Dable. I think it's, is he a guy that it's my way or the highway? Or is it a – what did Lincoln call it? A, a confederation of rivals or whatever when he had his his um, his cabinet when he was president? Um, the most important thing to me from a coaching staff is that you get buy-in from your players. They're executing what you want to do. If you know the little stuff like – I don't want you speaking out in the media because of that. That is ego, and that is trying to you know, exert your authority and power. And if that's something that is a priority to Brian Dable over 
you know, what Wink Martindale is doing because the results are this defense. This defense, for all of the injuries and all the stress that's put on it by the offense, really has only been a you know, with the exception of the Dallas games and the Wash and the Miami game, has not been that terrible of a defense front to back considering injuries and you know trading key guys and again the stress of the offense and everything. So, and it seems like this defense, like I alluded to before, has not quit on this team. Now, Xavier McKinney, I think, is a potentially could be a cancer. This is not the first coaching staff where he's criticized and he's been vocal about things. So I think he's more of an anomaly than, you know, the rest of that, you know, coach, the uh, defensive roster. So I think, you know, if Brian Dable is giving the, you know, the, the olive branch out by giving him the game ball and all that stuff. Maybe it's just his realization that, you know, in spite of personality differences or style differences or controlled things that we have a pretty good defensive coordinator. And as this front office gets better talent for this defensive coordinator, and also we have a better offense that doesn't stress out this defense so much, this could be a very effective defense. So I don't think you want to lose a guy like him for this kind of stuff. And I think that's one of the steps we'll see. Man, I think you knocked that out of the park. Uh, that is – so all of that, um, I'm going to work my way backwards. Uh, Go for it. Number one, um, objectively, the defense earned the game ball. We can start right there. Um, this could be a little bit conspiracy-y like, or just like a trumped-up little thing here. I mean like legitimately, the touchdown came off of the Bobby Okereke interception. There's no offense that drove down the field and scored anything more than three points. Which they had is, more, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, 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 they should have lost this game. So uh, the defense came up with three interceptions. They were beating the shit out of two quarterbacks. They confused the shit out of two quarterbacks. I mean, they the defense won this game. The offense moved. That was roughly all that happened. Um, so we can start there. Uh, I do think that there's an olive branch here. Uh, I think you're right that this is a crossroads moment for Brian Dable and how he handles situations, especially certainly adversity it is for everybody um uh, i certainly think that it's put strain on um keeping things tight in the locker room and i would say i would say that they've i they, i would say they've done a pretty good job um th- this has been a fucked up season since like literally week 1 so i know it's not yeah. december yet so Considering everything, maybe I'm forgetting something. I mean, has there been like the only thing I can think of is the McKinney comments. That's been yeah. like a, a, a like, and like I have to imagine that when seasons like this happen, that like there are sharks looking for these stories, right? Of course, and especially, especially in a team. In a you know in a major media market where they are always because let's face it, if it wasn't for Tommy DeVito, and if it wasn't for stories like this, the Giants are beyond irrelevant, you know, and having the Jets be more of a cluster than we are, <laughs> that just puts them more on the back page than us and makes us even more relevant. So, you know. 
Fox, you know, Glazer works for Fox, right? Yes. Uh, last I knew. Yeah, and you know the the vast majority of giant games are on Fox, and they are trying to keep eyeballs on this team. And you know, if it's not going to be a good product, you want to create soap opera. I mean, wrestling, the WWE is still a thing, not so much for the matches, but the, all the the trumped up soap operas and dumb stories that they do. And they're trying to make something out of nothing. And wink. You know, he looks like a guy. He looks kind of like a villain. He looks like an old school coach. And, you know, Dables, he's a character looking guy also. And, you know, when you hear that head coach and defensive coordinator are on the same page or on the outs or, you know, there's strained relationships, you know, people think in their minds back to the old NFL films of uh, Buddy Ryan punching an assistant coach or people having to be physically – so you give a hint that that might happen, people will care and pay attention. So, yeah. So I mean, I I have to say I have. I, we've seen mistakes with Brian Dable, so I don't want to say like, and, and I mean like from day one, I, he's not been infallible. Uh, he's a rookie head coach. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm just <laughs> saying. Um, so I I'm not saying he's been perfect, but considering. The shitstorm that he's kind of in, and the market that he's in, uh, I think he's handled that portion of the job pretty well. Um, he's been tight-lipped, and it's kind of honestly, it feels like it's kind of dulled the media. And honestly, the only story has been that Wink Martindale reopened the story of his own volition. Like, right? Like, yeah. As far as I can remember, and I know that's super recently, what? so maybe I'm like just really bad memory but it feels like for this entire awful season like there's just been swarming around like daniel jones's injury like trying to get information everything has been very hushed it's dulled the ability to do anything other than like just kind of wonder and guess and stories mostly just died as results came out right like daniel jones came back from his neck thing he ended up getting hurt in that same game so like it never really materialized but I mean, that story just kind of went away. Even like the Evan Neal story kind of went away too. The, you know. Well, uh, we'll get, we'll get to that in a little bit, but. No, just the story itself kind of. Yeah. I I would say like even like, it feels like the Bobby Johnson story is sort of going away. Like we're not really talking about him that much unless I'm missing something. I, I, I mean, it's just like, it's not been like a, a, uh, circus. It's just been a bad team. It's been a bad year. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. it started and a it's, bad it's, year that started immediately with a shock to the system, with a forty to nothing loss to your biggest rival on prime time after a playoff appearance, and it, with a resulting injury to your franchise left tackle. So it was immediately, bam, we are in. We're down to DefCon two immediately, and you know, everything piled on with injury wise and things. So. This has not been like a slow boil. This has been fighting, you know, monster forest fires literally from the get-go in this team. Yeah, honestly, what it's been is what they've been trying to make it avoid. It's a, It's been just a boring story. And then what did I say before? The team hasn't quit yet, so... Yeah, so, uh, yeah, but I, I, I think I agree with everything with you. With Dable, Wink, I, I think that Dable <laughs> wants Wink to be here. I think he likes his approach. I think that they disagree at times, as all assistant coaches do because it's football and it's work 
and that's just what happens. It's, it's, it's an ego-driven job. These guys, you don't get to where you are without having an ego. And, you know, Wink Martindale is one of 32 guys in this world who's defensive coordinator. Brian Dable is one of uh, – Brian Dable. Uh, Dable is one of 32 head coaches. These guys have big personalities. They are type A guys, and they're going to clash. It happens. I mean, think about your own jobs everywhere you work with. Does everybody kumbaya on every little thing you do? And every team's call you're on, every Zoom call, everything is all oh, great. I agree. Good. Sounds good to me. No. You are – everybody has their own opinions, their own style, their own, you know, confidence and all that stuff. It's going to happen. The problem is in this profession, every little thing is either out in the open or there are 25 people following it or there's leaks and everybody knows about it. doesn't mean anything. It just is theater. Um, damn, what was I going to say? How smart I am? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, you're right. The other thing is, remember, Brian Dibble went outside of his wheelhouse of coaches to obtain Wink Martindale um, for a very high-profile position. It was one of the things I think he was... It was. I, I, I think that he wants him there. Um, I think that... Uh, Maybe there's some difference in coaching styles, and that's fine, uh, and you know whatever. But I mean, like, this is Brian Dable cut his teeth on running the offense. So to go outside of his wheelhouse means that he really picked someone he trusted to run things. Um, and I, 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 I think the perception. Wait, wait, hang on. Do we agree that the perception is that the the relationship is fractured more on Wink's end than Brian Dable's, or the other way around? Or just in general, I don't. Even, I still don't even know if the relationship is fractured. No, I, I'm saying the perception. Yeah. The perception. I think the perception is my perceptions is Dable's nose got bent a little bit because Wink was speaking out of turn regarding the Xavier McKinney thing, and I think, I think, I think Dable might have pushed back on it and maybe realized he went too far in that uh, that direction is pushing back. I don't think it's a wink thing. I think it's more of a Dable thing. And I think that might be someone that's still learning the job of being a head coach and a CEO of a team. That's my perception of it. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, it could be. And let's put, let's put it this way too. You know, coordinators get fired during midseason. Yeah. You know, we've had, you know, we had the whole thing with the offensive line coach a couple of years ago getting fired midseason. I mean, changes can be made. If, if, if something is unattainable, you know, or, you know, not just for performance or just, you know, this is not going to work anymore, cords are cut. I mean, this is a team that's going, we're not going to impact the playoffs this year. If, 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 it's, if it's an unresolvable situation, you just fire his ass. That's it. Move on. They're not doing that. Yeah, um, I will. I will add uh, that the the story is not really closed on this. Obviously, the end of the season has to happen, but also like it sort of happened like yesterday, kind of. So um, I, I'm saying that this is kind of like, oh, it's no big deal. It's over. I gave him the game ball, and like it's been like all of 24 hours. So uh, we've got to wait. Most importantly, towards the end of the season, see if anyone gets fired, see if anything else happens, but at least give the story like a week. Let's get through another game before. Uh, My, yeah. You know, if you want to uh, 
bookmark this now and, and clip it for later. My guess is that Wink will be the defensive coordinator in 2024. How do you feel about that? Fine. I think he's a good defensive coordinator. I think if we get more, we keep getting more talent, I think he'll be more effective. And I think if, That's like I said, it. The, and also if I think the, if the offense is better and doesn't make the defense be on the field for 40 minutes a game and always playing from behind and all that stuff, the defense will be better. This is an offense that a defense that will be is opportunistic and it feasts off quarterbacks and quarterbacks that are having to throw a lot and they go pin their ears back and go get them, confuse them and go get them. So there's this team has not been situated for them to be successful. I think having more talent and being put in better positions will make this defense even better. Uh, the the other thing I was going to say is they um, actively drafted like players that fit specifically into his defense, like. A lot of them, um, so it it's um, they clearly want him here. And doing that also after year one, and I don't think all of a sudden Wink Martindale developed a new personality trait that gets under Dable's skin. I think he knows. I think we knew what he had getting him in there, and they've worked together for two years now. And I think this is something just maybe went a tad more public than they wanted to. But but you're right. This, they yeah. are drafting. This is the, this is the, his system. This is the. Uh, the the family whose whose argument got loud enough for the neighbor to hear. Let's not be these suburban housewives and chatter a town about it. The real housewives. Of yeah. East Rutherford, New Jersey. Yeah. You know what? Uh, mommy and daddy had a little fight. It's okay. They worked it out. Let's move on. Uh, that's kind of how I want it to happen. That's how I hope it goes, and this marriage continues into next year because they've invested resources into Wink's defense. I uh, I respect. Wink's defense in this age of the NFL, I think it's the way you kind of have to do. I don't think I think sitting back allows for games that go up forty plus, and yeah. just so um, I think you got to kind of generate things. You've got to make them uncomfortable. Uh, so I I I like it. Um, he's not perfect, certainly not perfect, but I think that this is a nice staff that I would like to grow together. So. This defense has been very good against teams that are not very good. And, you know, something bad defenses let bad offenses be successful. And we, do, we don't let that. I mean, look what we did against a team like Buffalo. They ended up firing their offensive coordinator. Look what we've done against, you know, teams that should not be scoring and pulling up tons of yards are not doing that against us. And that is something that, you know, bad defenses don't do. Um. Last thing before we before we go, um, Joe Shane press conference answered some questions about Daniel Jones. Um, also, I guess he said that Evan Neal needs to play better. I think that's obvious. Um, See, thanks. Regarding Daniel Jones, he said the expectation is that when he's healthy, he's the starter. Uh, but he kind of left the door open to, uh, you know. Everything, every single option, and um, you know, draft. Otherwise, he, you know, says it has to do with the injury timeline and the injury uncertainty, and that all makes sense. But also, they just need to do it anyway to upgrade for longevity, you know, etc. There's there's a lot of things going on here. Uh, I don't think any of that's news. I think that's like I, I right. Like we've said this already. Like financially, they're tied to him. It doesn't make sense if you have the situation, especially if. You have what might be another bad team next year. You don't know since we clearly thought we were a better team than we were. Um, 
there's no reason to throw a green rookie out there if you are literally financially stuck with Daniel Jones. You, if he's ready to go health-wise, which he may not be, but you know, if he's ready to go, let's say week four or something like that, and you got to just get through the first four games, you can do that. But like, shelter him a little bit, let him grow. He's in the situation that he's in. I don't know. That's how I feel. I think it worked hey, well for Patrick Mahomes. That's all hey, I'm saying. We are all assuming something we don't know for sure. And the, the question is, does this organization even want to draft another quarterback? You know, we don't know what Jones, Joe Shane really thinks of Daniel Jones. We don't know what Brian Dable really thinks of Daniel Jones. We don't know what the mayors really think about Daniel Jones. If they decide that, you know something, it's in the best interest of this organization that Daniel Jones is our guy. We are better suited taking high draft picks and working on the offensive line, getting a an elite wide receiver, getting elite defensive guys. They're going to do it. Um, there's there's there there is no assumption that you know they want to get out of that contract. I I, I don't know. I think we are all just taking that kind of leap of you know. Well, they're going to do this. I mean, my well, I, I mean, I've had my opinion on theirs, but it's, that's we don't know what they're thinking. We honestly don't. Yeah, and and that's fine. But I mean, just I don't know. I guess my whole thing is that answer tells me exactly what I want a GM to say, and also nothing at all. You know what I mean? Like he's leaving every option open, as I want my GM to do in this exact situation. Um, I, I want to know that he is actively working. I don't want to hear that he is laser focused on which watching Caleb Williams. You know what I mean? Like I don't want that because I don't want him to say anything. Well, Nothing. yeah, for starters, that. But also, Nothing. I don't. I also don't want him to laser focus in one area. Sometimes solutions come in multitudes. You know what I mean? Like maybe the draft pick solution ends up being obvious on draft day, right? Like maybe the draft board falls in a way where it didn't matter how much time he spent scouting because for whatever reason, Drake may felt us or whatever, right? But like maybe the most important thing that he did this year is that he spent time on the road, found a veteran backup, and that veteran backup won us the first four games before Daniel Jones could start. You know what I mean? I'm just saying, like, there are yeah. – he needs to be a GM and fucking look in every direction. He said a thing, a normal answer. It's not worth – GM press conferences say nothing to me. I don't know. Yeah, I, I personally just don't think they should say anything at all because they're not going to – they're not going to tell you what they're really thinking anyway. So most of it is just – it's GM speak gibberish. And if they say something that, you know, people – Put their feet to the fire. I mean, the situation changes literally every day. I mean, the, the results of the Chicago game tonight impacts what our potential, you know, draft spot would be. So every day there's a variable that changes. And you know, on draft day, the situation was different than it is right now. So how can they comment on something that they don't even know where they're drafting? what the ultimate needs are going to be. You know, we, we don't know any of this stuff. We don't know anything. So this, if you don't know anything, don't say anything. Don't be tied to a comment of if, if it's made flippantly or just arrogantly or ignorantly. I just assume these guys just don't even have it because I don't care what they say. They're not going to tell you what they're really thinking. I think that'd be a detriment to the, the team if they tell you what they're really thinking. So let them do their little, uh, you know, Verbal diarrhea of saying nothing. 
Um, so, th- uh, Friday morning, we will have our game preview episode. Uh, no, we won't. We well, are bye week. We have a bye week, so bye um, week preview. We shouldn't lose that one. Uh, how do you want to do this? Do you what's do you want to do Monday episode? We'll do recap and um, what I really want to talk about. What we already discussed this. What what we're really going to talk about is kind of an assessment of the team and looking forward to the end of the year. Some expiring contracts, some areas of need. You know, we're we're beyond the middle of the season at this point. I think we have a good idea of some potential problems. Um, some potential solutions. We don't have. We're, we're not going to talk specifically about draft picks. That's not going to happen. But whether or not solutions can be found in the draft, where they can be found in the draft, where they can be found in free agency, that sort of thing. Um, and so that'll be next week. Also, obviously, a lot of news happens in between now and then um, with the bye week here. So uh, follow on Twitter at football underscore grump at the cranky fan. Uh, there might be an emergency episode. Should there be one? Uh, yeah. I guess this is kind of the time coaches get fired. Frank Rank we, got fired today. We, so we, we just talked for 15 minutes about wink. It's no big deal. We could end up as soon as we hit submit to uh, YouTube wink got fired. So who knows? Yeah, that would <laughs> be something. Emergency. Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> It, there might be an emergency episode, but probably not. Um, I don't. I don't anticipate yeah. there being one. But that's what you can expect next week on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and of course YouTube. Uh, until then, we will see you. Uh, go Giants! <laughs>